Welcome to a special edition of the Underground Bunker Podcast. I'm Tony Ortega, and I'm currently covering the Danny Masterson trial in Los Angeles. Well, week two of testimony wrapped up on Friday. So once again, we thought we'd compare notes with Jeffrey Augustine about the highlights of the past few days. Jeffrey, it's the end of the second week of testimony in the Danny Masterson trial. And... Uh, we just, you know, it's time to review. Tell me what it you is. think. Yeah. What do you think, man? Uh, well, so uh, it is very interesting so far. It's clear to me that, the, the, you know, there's a long way to go in, in, in the trial. Uh, there's some, been some questions raised. There's other uh, witnesses to be seen. So we don't have a full and complete picture. Um, today is really the first day Cohen seemed to be... Uh, have some coherence to his questioning. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, again, there's st- steps to be taken specifically uh, if you want to go in today or we start at the beginning of the week. Well, let's start with that issue, the timing. Um, just to remind people that Judge Olmedo told the jurors to make sure to clear their schedule to November 18th. But she told him that she really thought it would be done before that. And just, I don't know, a week ago, she said that the, the attorneys thought it would go another four weeks, but that she would only thought it would only go two. So that was amazing. And, and you know, the first week went by real fast. But we've had some days off, and there's a couple more days off coming now. And Cohen really kind of goes long on a cross-examination. So I, I don't I don't know that it's going to be as fast as she was thinking because, like, for example, they, they named the prosecution listed 12 LAPD witnesses, and we've been through two. So I don't know. Well, it's, it's hard to know. Some of these may go quick, pretty quickly. The, we had a couple witnesses today go fairly quickly. So uh, we don't know, people. It, it, it seems like um, maybe things have slowed down a little bit. Things have certainly slowed down in the courtroom, huh, Jeffrey? I mean, it's just not as packed as it was. Oh, no. Once Harvey Weinstein started down the hallway, you know, media went down there. And uh, also they, they uh, were able to seat other juries and finish jury selection in other cases. That's part of the reason it was so packed. So they've right. got... You know, all the jurors that were up there as potential jurors are gone. And I don't, you know, I haven't been really following the Harvey Weinstein case. Uh, I believe they're uh, working on jury selection. They I may have had jury seated. But, uh, yeah, it is slowed down. And we had a day off this week, too. Uh, right. Wednesday, and the court was dark. I, you know, I don't think it's unusual for, the, for a case like this to be really packed for opening statements and then kind of, ebb a little bit in the middle and then it'll probably start picking up again once we get near the end. Uh, but definitely, um, you know, it's probably like nine reporters instead of 12 or 13 before. And even the Masterson group had maybe seven when they've had like, I don't know, six or seven when they've had like eight or nine before. I don't know. It, it just, it definitely seems like it's a little slower, but, uh, but it's still an interesting week. So, so Monday, let's talk about Monday. Um, on Monday, we had Sean Fabos and Cousin Rachel. Yeah. Now, you've had a couple of days to think about Sean Fabos. Jeffrey, give me your thoughts. Uh, Sean Fabos is not credible at all. 
the first thought I had was that they were trying to suborn perjury. That, that, is, that is the other side. And that might be the Office of Special Affairs. Um, yeah, they. For those who weren't around, Fabos, Sean Fabos is um, was a friend of Jane Doe One and worked for Jane Doe One's mother. And the reason he's in this case is that Jane Doe One's story is that after Danny uh, allegedly raped her, she immediately flew to Florida that same night with her family. They were there for about a week to ten days. Came back, and the first person she really told the full details of what happened was this friend of hers, Sean Fabos, and he was apparently really upset and wanted to, you know, kill Danny or whatever, and she had to calm him down. So he's important that way because he's really the first person she told. And But he's also, as I pointed out, the son of this couple, Steve and, and – well, he's, he's the son of Steve Fabos and his wife, Peggy, and they're like the biggest donors in Scientology right now. They're in virtually every fundraising flyer. They've raised $7.5 million for Scientology just – since their son became a witness in this case in 2017, which I think is kind of uh, suspicious. But anyway, what what uh, Jeffrey was talking about with, with the, um, the sort of interference is, the, I think the reason why Deputy DA Mueller thought he could still put Fabos on the stand and get relatively truthful testimony from him is that in 2017, Jane Doe won, and, and this was on the instruction of the LAPD, she called him without telling him that she was taping and asked him, do you remember what I told you in 2003? And then he apparently, we, you know, we don't have the transcript in front of us, but he apparently was like, oh yeah, you told me this and that, and basically corroborating all the things that she had told him back then. So, you know, Mueller had this transcript of this 2017 phone call in front of him and probably figured, you know, the guy can't lie because I've got the transcript. But, man, it was like pulling teeth, wasn't it, Jeffrey? Oh, absolutely. He he was uh, declared a hostile witness early on, which means the, the attorneys are, are allowed to proceed with leading questions. And uh, he was very – well, I'll just tell you this. You know, for me, interviewing people as a private investigator – yeah, he he comes across as a liar, just because I've interviewed people who obviously uh, I know the facts, and, and norm, normally an investigator, not always, but often you want to know more than the person you're uh, investigating does. Right. And you can't always do that, but at least you'll have a a broad outline, you have prior statements, things like that. So he's being very evasive. And he, he brings his he brings in his attorney with him, his own attorney. Even though he's called as a witness in a case, it's yeah. But I, I don't it, think we should, I don't think we should hold that against him. I mean, you well, know, Cedric had his attorney with them. I mean, the but 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 all I'm talking about is like, you know, okay, do you, you know, this was this phone call which what they had with Jane Doe one was just five years ago. I mean, it's not that long, and sure. it, it was like, okay, do you remember? That you told Jane Doe one that in 2003 she told you Danny threw her in the jacuzzi. And he'd be like, I, I don't, I don't remember that. Well, can you look at the transcript? And he'd look at the transcript. Oh uh, yeah, I guess I said that. I mean, he. It, well, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but he, it was like that, right, Jeffrey? I mean, they were they had to pull everything out of him. And I had to keep make, making him look at the transcript. It, he was so reluctant. Uh, I, I wouldn't use the word reluctant. I, I would personally, I use the word dishonest. Now, 
you say you can't hold it against somebody that they brought in their own attorney. To me, that's a yes or no question. It, you know, when when a, a recipient witness supposedly brings their attorney with them, first you want to see the, the demeanor and how they're acting. You're looking for the, the body signs, the body language, the tells, if you will. And she's she's I'm sitting right behind her watching her as much as I'm watching him. And she's got eye contact with him like there's a setup. And then and then, yeah, he's not remembering anything. Supposedly he was interviewed uh, last week on tape. At the well, DA's we'll get office. we'll get we'll get to that in a yeah, second. Okay. I'm just okay, I just so. want to refer the, the first part. Yeah, yeah is sure, simply yeah. he had a they had a transcript and they were dragging it out of him. It was it was sad. Oh, yeah. well, he didn't want to cooperate, so he he was making them do the work, right? And when you when somebody's making you do the work as an investigator, you want to know why you want to know why they're not telling you, who, you know, who they've talked to, what's gone on, and you know he obviously doesn't want to cooperate, or, or he had suddenly had a stroke. He didn't tell the court about because he can't remember <laughs> anything, you know, from last week. Yeah. So, did you have a stroke, Mr. Fabos? Uh, why this complete and utter lapse of, and and the DA Mueller's a really good DA. Another DA might have said, "Are you under the uh, influence of drugs or alcohol at the moment? You seem not to be remember anything. Are you medically okay?" Uh, another DA might have gone after him. Mueller didn't go down that you know didn't go down that path, and it might have been inflammatory and objected to. But I'm just saying that, yeah, it wasn't when you, Tony, if we talked last week and suddenly you don't have any memory, I, I don't know, on a, a you know, criminal matter. Yeah, you're going to it's going to be very suspicious. So I didn't find him to be credible. Well, it was confusing. I mean, it was, you know, it was confusing. And, um, you know, that Mueller kept having to go to the transcript to remind him what he said. And, I, you know, I'm just thinking about, okay, it's the last place he wants to be. He's a Scientologist. He's being used to corroborate Jane Doe One's story. And he largely was that, you know, she did tell him all these things in 2003, which, you know, lends credence to her story against a big time Scientologist, Danny Masterson. So I don't think it was a good place to be. But then things got so much weirder because then he claimed that um, – you know, uh, last the week before, last Thursday, a week ago Thursday, he had been approached in the hallway while he was waiting to testify by a private investigator working for Danny Masterson who asked him, did you go on that trip to Florida? That, you know, this trip that Jane Doe One has been talking about. And so for the first time in 19 years, at the suggestion of Danny's PI, he suddenly has this revelation that he was on that trip. And it wasn't, you know, he was playing some games with Mueller like, you know, you never told us. And he was like, you never asked me. He was playing that game. But he did say it wasn't just that nobody would asked him. He'd never remembered it before. So, yeah, that that was so suspicious. And and so now he can say, well, I was there. I didn't see any bruises. Um. I, I got to tell you, I was confused in that moment, Jeffrey. It took me a while to even figure out what the hell was going on. Yeah, I I, I was not confused. A couple of red flags went up for me. One, 
for a, for a uh, private investigator to approach a witness in a courtroom <laughs> during the during the pendency of a criminal trial, felony criminal trial, no less than three rapes. I personally would never do that. I wouldn't walk up to someone who's been named as a witness. That that can get into witness tampering, obstruction. That can lead down a lot of a lot of really that can lead to a lot of bad consequences, including the PI getting arrested. Because when when they said I, I was approached, okay, so his story's not adding up to me, right? right? He can't remember a damn interview last week with the DA, but suddenly he remembers a trip he took. 20, 19 years ago, that, wait a minute, that's not adding up at all because I remember trips I went on 20 years ago. I can remember distinctively. Any, anyone with a good memory can remember a trip. They can remember what they said last week. So that's the glaring inconsistencies like, oh, I'd forgotten completely about that trip until a PI for the, uh, for the Masterson side uh, for defense approached me in the hallway during a criminal trial that was ongoing and asked or reminded, and suddenly now I can remember that, and that uh, when I was told, he said, you know, when I was told that what she told me that Danny Masterson did to her, you know, I wanted to hurt him. You know, he wanted to beat up Masterson, hurt him. Yeah, yeah. That, that, but, however, he needs to have his memory refreshed. And the fact, the only thing they wanted him to say was, I didn't see any bruises and to try to, you know, they're trying to take uh, rebut the uh, photos where there's bruises. So yeah. they need them. And, and I, um, I wonder what, you know, the office of special affairs is doing behind the scenes. There's been, there were two people in the room. I mentioned in comments on bunker. There were two people in the room that day. I hadn't seen before or since now I could be wrong, but I made them as private investigators. Uh, you know, one of them was, you know, 40s, a guy that looks like he works out. And, you know, I the reason I mention that is I saw them prior to entering the room. Uh, I saw them milling around like PIs and not always, but sometimes PIs can make other PIs, you know, but they didn't belong. So when they come in and sit down and they haven't seen uh, before or since, you wonder, you know, what they're up to. Um, so when you well, bring in a, I, a witness with, yeah. Well, I mean, all. let's stick to what we know. We don't know if those guys were PIs sure. or not. I mean, and, and, no, and I also doesn't have to be involved. The point is a, def a defense PI went to Sean Fabo, said this thing to him. He suddenly has this bizarre memory, which is ludicrous. Because I, as I pointed out, you know, Jane Doe once for years has said she got back from Florida went to see Sean Fabos and told him what happened and he got angry. And how, how would it have slipped Jane Doe one's mind that she didn't need to go see him because he was on the trip with her. And then the next witness of course was her cousin, Rachel, who was on the trip. And you, you know, you could see from the tone of her voice, she said he wasn't on that trip. I mean, it was ludicrous. It was just completely ludicrous. But it, you know, a reporter came up to me and said, Tony, I don't, I don't really see how that helps the defense anyway. And I, and I, my rea my response was no, but it's, the, it's a, it's a nice attempt to destroy a prosecution witness because even as, even as reluctant as he was, he was a prosecution witness and his 2017 phone call was largely corroborating what Jane Doe one was saying. 
So it was sure. just an interesting way. I mean, you said witness tampering, and I think you're on it. But uh, and people have asked me about what about perjuring himself. I don't know. I don't think there's gonna, anything's going to come of it, except that you know, um, it was you know, it's just as I said, you know, you, you you take the risk of asking a Scientologist to testify. Look what happens. I mean, it was just strange, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Well, you know, uh, Philip Cohen immediately went on the defense. And he used it as uh, a pretext. And here's here's how I saw it. So Sean Favos leaves, and the jury's out. Cohen, you know, asked for a mistrial. And this is a trick I've been seeing Cohen do. It's almost like a setup because he's, he is he objects, saying that uh, the presence of a PI will so prejudice the jury that we need a mistrial. Well, let, let me just point out what what he was yeah. what Cohen was angry about was the tone of D.A. Mueller's voice. That that Mueller Mueller was clearly super pissed off that the defense would do that and basically fuck mess with his witness, right? And and, and approach him in the hallway. And Correct. so Cohen was saying, "Look, Mueller's anger is coming through and he's making the jury think that we the defense did something improper." And so wasn't the result, Jeffrey, that the judge decided to just have like some sort of a stipulation for the jury that both sides can approach witnesses at any time? I think she said something to the jury like that to try to sort of smooth that all over. Well, well, first of all, you know, she basically said that, you know, Cohen wasn't able to, you know, say what the impression would be upon the jurors. I mean, he can argue that they would have this impression, but that's, he's playing as if he's omniscient and he's reading some stuff into it for the sake of making an argument to get a mistrial. Right. Because he's in a position where he would like a do-over. He'd like this to start over and ditch them, all the mistrial baggage. But the rule is, in a case, either side can use PIs to talk to people they don't intend to call. So there were some rules she cited about that. Okay. And because the defense never intended to call Fabos as a witness, they didn't have to disclose the investigation to the prosecution. So Fabos is subject to recall as a witness, and it's very possible Mueller will call him back into the case at a future date to ask him questions like that. Who was the I don't PI? Know. I, I don't know. I think I, I think mean, I think his his credibility is completely shot now. I, I don't know anybody want to hear from that guy again. Well, I you know just as a prosecution, I might want to hear about it. I might be doing some investigating about it I because see. there's video survey. There's video cameras in the hallway. It would be easy enough to grab the video. I I personally would want to see who approached Sean Fabos. I would get well, the that, video for that. Definitely that was one thing that I thought about was, you know, I saw him in the hallway Thursday and Friday and um I wish I'd been paying attention to this. Maybe I could have seen this woman. I did you we we didn't get an ID on her, right? We don't know who this woman was. Well, you know, I didn't even know who Sean Fabos was. I hadn't seen him physically. I didn't so I'd never met him before, I didn't know. Him. But oh, okay. all I would say is they could pull the video from the time he gets off the elevator, because we have the time frame of when he appears in court. Right. right. And we would look for video surveillance of the, of the female PI talking to him. 
Yeah. Well, I think in. I think I think they know. I think the I think both sides know the ID identity of the PI because they did make a report and everything. That's not the I, we don't we haven't been told. But well, I think for, I think they know. Well, well, let me finish forensically. Not only do you want to see him getting the video downstairs, entering the courtroom, but you want to see. And here I'll give you an example. You want to see who she's with when she enters, the female PI enters the building itself. Mm-hmm. And I'll t- let's give you an aside, the listeners an aside. I was at uh, um, Los Angeles Civil Court, you know, across the plaza on the other side on a case four years ago. I, I don't recall the particular case. It was a civil case. And um, it's, oh, it was when uh, Riza Islam. And, and uh, okay, Anon. You, okay, so it was during it was it was during that ca- that preliminary criminal, right? I'm sorry, preliminary preliminary civil. And um, I'm leaving for the day, and lo and behold, I see Kendrick Moxon, attorney for the Church of Scientology, walking into the <laughs> walking into civil court. And he's fuming, and he has a Sea Org member with him. Uh-huh. He actually has him by the arm. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's going up. I'm not going to interfere. I just watch Mr. Moxon take him to the elevator and get on and go into the building. So my point is, if Mueller suspects there's something amiss, he, he can get video from the parking lot, from the parking garage, and of the whole thing, which is what I would, which is what you would do an investigation to see. Like, yeah, but he's for not, example, he's not going to do yeah. that because the judge just read the stipulation to the jury that there's nothing wrong with it. So if Mueller now well, tried to investigate it, he'd be violating the court's order. I, I don't know that he would be violating it, but we'll leave. I didn't find Fabos credible, and there may be more, and they may look into it. They have they can still... You saw you yourself mention that uh, Mueller was furious, which he was, and I would do some further investigation, which he would be allowed to do. So Well, we'll I, think it, it, I think it'd be fascinating, but yeah, I don't I don't know that he will. But, um, so yeah, I mean, what did we learn from it? We learned that he, you know, Jane Doe one did tell him these things according to him. And, uh, but that he got somehow flipped in the courthouse. It's so crazy. Well, well, Tony, there's a history. Look, there's a precedent of the church of Scientology interfering in cases, documents went missing in France. You have them all over the Lisa McPherson case. You have Lisa Marie Presley scheduled to come in. Wonder what's going on there. So all, all I'm saying, due to the prayer things, we you know even what Marty Rathbun writes about in his book, Memoirs of a Scientology Lawyer, of how they got to the judge, you know, that case in Oregon. Yeah. Um, so I'm just saying, okay, I'm not alleging anything. I'm just saying it, it looks dirty, and I think – it looked kind of staged to give uh, Cohen an intro to call for a mistrial mm, okay. based on prejudice. It looked like an operation to well, me. Well, all, all we know right now is sure. it was a defense PI. We don't know if it was Scientology related, but yeah, no, it's highly suspicious. No question. You, you so, are correct. That's all we know. <laughs> so that, so Sean Fabos and, and, and then cousin Rachel came on and she really made him sound like a liar. Um, but you know the real story of Monday afternoon and all day Tuesday was Jane Doe three. So this was the second of our alleged victims. Jane Doe one was week one. 
Now they're putting on Jane Doe 3, and that's the same order they had in the prelim, right? Jane Doe 1, Jane Doe 3, and then Jane Doe 2. So Jane Doe 3 comes on and begins her testimony. And I, I took a couple things away from it. I want to I see, uh, compare with how you felt about it. During the prelim, um, of the three, I thought Tom Mesro maybe got um, made things pretty tough for her at times. I think overall she did okay. But this time, my goodness, none of those problems seemed – I mean, she was so effective. And, and it just – you know, when she described things – and also, not just not just the details of the attack, which are bad enough. And in her case, she woke up with him inside her, and she fought him, and pulled on his hair, and he hit her. Not all, not just those things that we you know we've heard before, but also what was remarkable about Jane Doe 3's testimony this week is how much she got to describe Danny Masterson the man, and what it was like to be in a relationship with him. She she's the one victim that was actually in a relationship with him for six years. And, oh, my God, the picture of him that emerged was just dreadful that, that you know, he was just this unloving person that just wanted sex, wanted it now, whether she was ready or not. And, you know, embarrassing her in front of other people by the way he was rude all the time. And um, so that I thought really she really came across and the cross-examination just it seemed like Cohen had a real hard time. um getting anywhere with her. And then the other big thing about Jane Doe 3, on Tuesday, um, she was asked about Scientology retaliation, and she talked about the harassment and how her husband and her children, uh, she said babies, they're nine-year-olds, but they're babies to her, um, were in the path of this fair game attack from Scientology, and she just suddenly had this full-blown panic attack she was crying she said she was having difficulty breathing um she was trembling i mean she just couldn't control it and they brought her advocate over to talk to her and they took a break and, and calmed down and I, I i just really got a, a you know impression from people that this really impacted them i was just i felt so bad for her and i was ho- hoping it would stop and so those things together made jane doe three in general i think she had a bigger impact on this trial than I thought she was going to be based on what had happened in the prelim. Now, you tell me, did did you feel the same way? Did you see something different? Yeah, she was extremely credible. There was a lot of anguish and pain. And just for our listeners to know, in the state of California, as with other states, there are victim services and they're seated in the front row. Here's an interesting thing I, I noted, but I want the larger audience. Um, here was a real telling moment. Victim services, in this case, two, two people come in with her, they're females, and they're there to rape victims, sexual assault. They're there to help support them emotionally and make sure they're protected. There's serious laws in California about where defense counsel may or may not go. It's not like, you know, the old days, 100 years ago, where how were you dressed? Did you provoke it? You know, that kind of thing. Right. Um, here's a couple things that stood out to me. Um, she, she was extremely credible. She was anguished, but wanting justice. 
So these are sort of sort of her inner strength shows. Now at one point, uh, Cohen crosses in front. Okay, uh, from where I'm sitting, I can see, I can see her testifying. Right, this is Jane Doe three. Yeah, you're farther over to the right than I am yeah. uh, from yeah. looking from yeah, the back I, of the I have court. A, I have a good view of. The, of you're closer the to the witness judge. than I am. Yeah. Yeah, the judge, the witness, Masterson. I want to be able to see all three, so I have right. a, a good seat for that. Yeah. And that, so I'm like one row back and in front of me is uh, Mona, the sketch artist. Right. And then I can see the victim services people. And and one of the women has a line of sight to Jane Doe 3. It's sort of like a safety support network. I'm here for you, right? Right. And and at one point, Cohen moves the podium in, moves the podium in front of the victim services officer for the court, for, mm. for Jane Doe 3. And, and she says... Can you please move the podium? I can't. I can't see the, you know, right. My victim services and and he's a very apologetic. And of course, he apologizes. He moves it immediately. Is this okay? Yes. And then at another point, she asks him to move the podium so she doesn't have to look at Danny Masterson. Well, what she, what she yeah. she asked him to stop pacing because it wasn't that the podium was in the way, but Cohen was going. He, Cohen likes to pace. When he's asking yeah. these long wind-up questions, and so he would walk left and right, so that when he walked to the left, and if she was looking at him trying to understand his question, she's got to look at all the Masterson clan, and and she it just she's like, please, can you not go over there? And it was ex- I think everybody immediately could see what she was talking about that that Cohen was drawing her you know vision towards Danny and his family. And to his credit, he said, I understand. And he stayed put over so that she wouldn't have to look in that direction. Correct. And and, and so that, that to me was, if you were the victim, a woman's a victim of a serious sexual, uh, well, a rape. Yeah, you wouldn't want to have to look at your rapist in court. And he right. was pacing as he's trying to develop his thoughts. So to me, it, it was very painful to listen to what she went through but we're you know and, and i'm sure it had a big impact on the jury cohen wasn't particularly effective in his questioning and, but i'll tell you something on my blog the scientologymoneyproject.com which is scientologymoneyproject.com if you google and maybe you could put it in the show notes but um may I, tony uh, just a question may i use profanity course okay so i have an article up it's on a it's on a 2015 interview that danny masterson gave to paperclip magazine and i have the i have paper the, magazine uh, it's called paper i think oh you are correct i'm sorry paper magazine yeah. um so danny masterson says of l ron hubbard quote he's a fucking guy who wrote awesome shit that i love studying unquote and this is this goes to what Jane Doe three was saying about his general demeanor of being profane, uh, you know, abrasive, abusive. Because if you read this magazine uh, interview, paper magazine, it is an embarrassment. And I noted when I first read it, every other word is the f bomb. And this guy's just crude. I also on a piece put up. Uh, 
a pod, uh, an interview on YouTube that that Bijou Phillips gave about her film career, and oh, she yeah. became no Bijou Phillips became a model at age thirteen, and and she was in Calvin Klein underwear ads, and the, I remember when that came out, that caused a huge media storm. Should you have a, a you know, what did Calvin Klein do? Mm-hmm. Were they what were they pandering to? And um, Bijou became got emancipated, emancipated minor status, and she got her own apartment, and she hung around with Paris and Nikki Hilton, right? And so you can kind of see the context in this magazine that Masterson's really not a practicing Scientologist in the yeah. sense of he's not a hardcore devout, but he's 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 not well educated. Uh, and he talks about how much he hates psychiatry. So that's a good insight into a psyche that I had that I, uh, yeah, if you put in paper magazine, you'll find it. Um, so I guess to me, it was very consistent that he's been profane and abusive. And when she gave details of the relationship, she was very convincing. So I think she was effective. She was, I thought she was. And, and again, I thought that uh, she, <laughs> At one point, see what what Cohen likes to do is he likes to compare you know statements they've made to the police years ago, and if they aren't sure, he says, "Well, can I refresh your would I refresh your recollection to see a transcript?" And so then you know the person says, "I guess," and so he, you know, yes, he gives them the transcript. But tr- <laughs> Jane Doe three, when he would say, "Would it refresh your recollection to see a, a transcript of that conversation you have?" She would say, I don't know. And I remember the first time she did that, there was this look on Cohen's face like he realized she had figured out the trick because he didn't then try to force the transcript on her and he moved on to another question. And so they'd go down a little bit farther and a little farther and he'd do a few more questions. Then he finally say, well, would it refresh your, you know, she'd get say, I can't remember. Well, would it refresh your recollection? She'd say, I don't know. And he'd look at her like, and, and then finally, at one point, after she'd done that to him like 10 times, he finally said, did somebody tell you to say, I don't know? Because it was so obvious that she'd figured out something that completely messed him up. And I don't know if people, yeah, I don't know if people know that, if that's a general thing or not. But she said, no, nobody told me. But he was so stymied. It was, it was amazing. Oh, it absolutely threw him off his pace. Because he's trying to impeach her with statements. He's trying to back her into a corner and then impeach her. And it might not always refresh her memory to read something, you know, you said six years ago. And if there's trauma associated, she did say that of the actual alleged rape, she had memory bubbles and fragmented memories that were nonlinear. And that's what they're going to bring in memory experts. So it may not, it may not refresh their memory uh me- memory will be part of the case and i've shown people things that they said four and five years ago that they didn't recall saying mm. and you can't say you can't say you're a liar you, you just they don't remember it right. and and you're and you're damn well sure cohen's damn well sure not going to put words in her mouth because yeah, I just he, thought I just thought it was remarkable that she seemed to have figured out a trick that well, completely maybe the, completely derailed his 
you know, line of questioning. It was funny, I thought. It, 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 was, it was very interesting to watch because it's one of his strategies or go-to, you know, it's a canard stratagem he uses, probably used in other cases. And But, you know, her sincerity really, really came through. She grew up in Alabama, and she became very successful modeling at age, at age 18. One thing that impressed me, or 14, she began modeling, then by age 18, she had her own modeling agency. Yeah. And she testified, Tony, this was impressive. By age 18, she had gotten a contract with Revlon to work with Cindy Crawford, supermodel. Right. right. And they sh- and Mr. Mueller put up a picture of that to show that she had incredible success at age, at age 18 to be a model, not only being photographed with supermodel Cindy Crawford, but to be running the business side of it. And she made this statement. She goes, well, I wanted to leave the party where she she originally met Masterson because I wanted to go phone my mom to tell her about my success. Now, that rang so true because, you know, an 18-year-old young lady would want to call her mom. Yeah. They were close. And so those kinds of little details get picked up. And so so I did find her effective in Cohen, not particularly effective at all with her. Right. Well, um, well, the other thing we should talk about, uh, so there was a, a break uh, in the middle of the week um, when we came back. Thursday, yesterday, was, was kind of crazy. Um, and uh, at some point during uh, Jane Doe 3's cross and redirect, Judge Omedo stopped everything and address the audience. And let me tell you, that's it's startling because we're all of us in, sitting there, we're doing our best to sort of be invisible, you know, and you don't want to be involved because that usually means something wrong is happening, right? So we're just all sitting there typing away and t- making notes, whatever. And all of a sudden she addresses the audience and she, she singles out one guy in particular, but she says to everybody... Look, if you're going to sit in this courtroom, you're not going to make faces. You're not going to make gestures. You're going to have a poker face or you're not going to sit in here. And she singled out this guy. Now, I had noticed this guy. Uh, a couple of reporters and I had actually you know, pointed him out. He, 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 he kind of gave a vibe of an attorney sort of dude, but he was dressed business casual, right? And he wasn't dressed like an attorney. Um, well, what's... Uh, he has the slightest resemblance to um, the actor. Uh, oh gosh, I'm sorry, it's not uh, uh, John C. Riley. He has a he has a slight resemblance to John C. Riley, the wonderful actor and Step Brothers in those films. But um, he was I noticed that he was hanging out by the Mastersons, so I assumed he was a either a family friend or a PI or whatever. So she singles him out, and I thought that was interesting. So he goes on, goes on for a while. So then they have this big um, discussion between Judge Olmedo and Cohen and Mueller, and they're arguing over something. I forget what it was. But um, all of a sudden, she stops again. And she says, look, sir. And she points him out, points out to him again, what's your name? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, whoa. So he says his name and he says, and spell it. I was like, oh, <laughs> So it's it's Scott Borthwick, right? And as soon as he spells his name, all of us reporters in the back row are like, nah, 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 you know. And um, turns out 
He's a Laguna Beach attorney. And uh, yeah, he's worked on cases before with Philip Cohen and Sean Hawley. But she, this time she was like, look, we're, we're, you know, we're in court. The jury wasn't the jury was out at that point. But she was like, look, you know, we're in court. We're talking over a situation. You should not be talking. Right. So before he was making faces and making gestures. Now he's just like talking to his companion or whether it's some guys that sit next to him. And um, he didn't come back after the afternoon break. But but the, the question I have, you, you tell me if I'm off on this, because the whole thing was weird. Because he's an, he's an experienced litigator. This guy knows how he's supposed to behave in court. Do, could, is it possible that the defense thought they could get away with having basically a shill in the audience making faces at what Jane Doe 3 was saying in order to influence the jury? Like, oh, she's lying. Oh, I can't believe that. Or, oh, can you believe she said that? You know, whatever faces you make. It, 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 that they thought they might be able to get away with something like that? You know, it's it's possible. Here are my thoughts on the matter. Tony, this is interesting that you bring it up, and I'm glad you did. Okay, so I saw the guy. He has uh, sort of uh, uh, curly hair, Masterson-like hair, because enough of the Masterson clan has been down there. And he has hair somewhat like Danny's. Slight, you know... I. I made him for a Masterson family member. He's fine. Didn't, you know, didn't make him out for an attorney. He didn't stand out. But on that particular incident, now I'm sitting, you know, one row back, and these are just benches, you know, you sit in. And he's only about six, seven feet away from me, and there's nobody between he and I. And I notice yeah. he's talking. And I notice he's, he's acting inappropriately in court because the number one rule of court, you conduct yourself, because that's the judge... The judge rules the courtroom, and you don't respect the court, meaning the judge. And I notice he's kind of talking, and this is something I would never do. Attorneys know not to do. You you sat there. And uh, so the first time she called him out, I wondered if he was an operative, because we had a PI already in the hallway. Right. Now we got this guy mugging for the jury, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm. This is what I'm thinking. Osa, and or Cohen. It's my opinion. They're behind it. They're bringing in someone else to disrupt the trial or influence the jury, because he was with another individual. Right. Then when the judge hit him for the second time, uh, and he has to spell out his name. Well, immediately I hear all the keyboards clacking of the entire <laughs> media room. <laughs> and I just know that Google's lighting up on yep, this guy's yep. name, right? We were all searching for him. Now, I go out during the break and I Google him. I find out there's a case down in Orange County uh, of, a, of a doctor and his girlfriend are accused of raping and drugging young women, having sex with them. And uh, Scott... Uh, 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 Bothrick, Borthwick, uh, Borthwick, thank you, yeah. uh, is on that case with Philip Cohen. Mm -hmm. So he's been involved with Philip Cohen on a, a, a drug rape case, which is what we have here. Woman takes a drink from Danny, he feels unusual, multiple women. Mm -hmm. And he's belligerent enough, he, he's belligerent enough to do this. If you get paid enough money, 
Now, the judge missed an opportunity because she's not omniscient. If she knew he was an attorney, she might have filed some disciplinary action with the state bar. You know, that because it raises questions about conduct and having a relationship with Phil Cohen. Yeah. So that bears some further investigation. And again, me thinking it's like, I want to watch the video footage of the courthouse, who he come, who he's talking to outside the building, where he parks, who he comes with, and who he talks to. Did he talk to the same female PI? I mean, sometimes people get sloppy. So that just raised a lot of questions that it was um, a deliberate attempt to interfere in the trial proceedings and influence the jury. It wouldn't be the first, look, it's not the first time people do this kind of stuff. Yeah. So, okay. and we do have the Scientology connection. And I've, you know, I look, uh, Karen and I, we've been harassed by Scientology PIs coming to our house. Of course, yeah. And just one general listener for your note, uh, for your, for the audience, Tony. I want to remind them of one thing: private investigators are private citizens. They have no police powers. They can't do anything. If you're ever approached by a PI, you can tell them to fuck off, and die. You don't owe them anything. You don't have to talk to them. They don't have any powers of nothing. Right. And and so having said that, someone if if this is just a hypothetical, if he was sent in to interfere with court, then he could potentially be in trouble. I can't see a trained attorney litigator sitting in the court making a jackass out of himself or herself and provoking a judge that's dangerous business when you when you're an attorney an officer of the court messing with the judge right you could be in contempt of court you could get yourself in a lot of trouble yeah so wow. she said she was she would throw him out of the court and you don't well, want to get did, thrown she out. didn't she didn't she didn't threaten that i i figured it was a kind of a two strikes right. deal she you know she she first admonished him for gesturing and making faces she second then Asked for his name and spelling when she said he was talking. I figured one more and he was gone. But uh, he, he left. He didn't come back after that. No, she said you would be excluded from the audience. Mm-hmm. She gave him that warning. You'll be excluded from the audience. That is, he'll, he'll lose his privileges. So, yeah, that. Um, <clears throat> Tony, I'd like to go back to just uh, one thing with Jane Doe 3 before we uh-huh. move on. Sure. One of the most interesting things is... Jane Doe 3 wants to report Danny Masterson after the incident where he is alleged to have uh, raped her. And there's there's um, anal sex involved. You know, she the, the is. December 2001 sodomy. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That incident where she's has bleeding, you know, consistent yeah, yeah. with that. Okay, so... She wants to report him. She goes to Scientology Celebrity Center, and she says it by name. And so the jurors are hearing Scientology Celebrity Center. She says that Scientology has a justice system. Right. And now she names, now we know some people. She names Miranda Scoggins, who's the Essex officer. Yeah. She tells Miranda that, that Danny Masterson had raped her. And... She's also sent to Miranda Scoggins' husband, who's the chaplain, uh, Chris Scoggins. Right. And this is where, let me turn here on my thoroughly detailed notes, where um, 
Miranda Scoggins, JD3 testifies, told her that, you know, she she can't use the rape word, the R word. Right. And it also she could you that a woman can't be raped if she's in a relationship. Right. Now that's not gonna go over with the jury. A woman can be raped if she's in a relationship or married. That marital rape happens. Uh when you're in a relationship. So it's interesting that Scientology shuts that down. And Miranda Scoggins actually, as JD3 testified, uh, Miranda Scoggins says, what did you do to pull this in? And these are new concepts to the jury, not to long time Scientology watchers, but what did you do to pull it in? Okay, oh, oh, you're saying you got raped. What did you do? Turns it around. And you could see that the, the effect it has on her. And that's what uh, Chris Goggins said as well. And he told her, that is Chris Goggins, the Scientology chaplain, told her that it was her job as Danny Masterson's girlfriend was to give him sex and say no. And and later she said that Danny didn't want her to work as a model. He wanted her to be on course. So now I'm getting the picture that what Danny Masterson meant was a dutiful Scientology Stepford, Stepford wife who would right. give him sex on command, not give him any trouble, and would put up with his abusive behavior. And let's talk about the scene where he's got he gets beat up outside the bar. As yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I want to go into that because I I haven't found any corroboration of that. And and well, it's just her testimony, Tony. It's not that we're corroborating it or saying it. It's just what she testified to. Yeah. Nope. Basically, no. she's yeah. Sure. I mean, go ahead. Okay. Basically, she's she testifies that she's with Danny, and he's making crude jokes about a woman. Uh, they're leaving. They're leaving an event restaurant, I believe, and um, Danny is basically publicly heckling this woman in a vulgar manner. Of course, in vulgar manner. Yep. And the woman is with her her husband or boyfriend, and he turns around and basically tears into Danny physically. Right. Gets in a fight with him, like he's going to put his ethics in at the <laughs> at the level of some street justice. Pow, you know. And she leaves because she's so. J, JD three says she's so disgusted by what Danny was saying to this woman uh-huh. that he gets, you know, he gets hit, gets, you know, and then that ha- that'll happen out there in bars. I'm not endorsing it, but I'm saying it happens. You run your mouth on someone else's, uh, another man's girlfriend. You, he might just slug you. And, but, but she says that when Danny, she, she went back home to their, where they lived and she says that Danny came home and, and was upset that he abandoned her. And I'm thinking, how, what does he want her for? He, does he want this Stepford wife, give me sex when I want, shut up, I'm going to act like I want, and you just endure everything in long silence? That went to the pattern of his psyche and the nature of the abusive relationship. And if I get hit for running my mouth, you're supposed to stay there with me. I mean... It's like, what, what does he expect out of her? And I don't blame her. That that precipitated par- part of their breaking up. 
So she has a good view of what it was like to be on a relationship with him. Well, I think I think the purpose of her telling the story was to explain why later that same month he attacked her. Was that he was still unhappy with her reaction to that, and so he turned his violence onto her. I think that's. I don't think they made that really as strongly a point as they meant to. But I got the feeling that that's why they mentioned that incident at all, which, frankly, I felt was not that, I don't know. I, I think they should have, I don't know. I, I, I was a little ambivalent about that whole testimony. Well, it I wasn't agree. well developed, but it was it was indicative. Now, going back to the church, the Celebrity Center, after JD3 talks to the uh, Scoggins, Miranda, and Chris, yeah, Um they assign her an ethics program. She gets put into what are called lower conditions. Right. And so she, they, one thing they give her, they make her read from the red volumes on L. Ron Hubbard's infamous policy on suppressive, suppressive acts and high crimes. Right. And part of that says it's a, it's a high crime to call the police on another Scientologist. And okay. so, so the jury's getting to see this bad behavior of Masterson's, this alleged bad behavior, conduct, alleged rape. And Danny, remarkably, when she confronts him, he says, I have ethics protection. I'm an upstat because he was in on a TV show promoting Scientology. And so right. the, the jury got a rare insight into the world of Scientology, where if you're a celebrity promoting Scientology, you can literally get it with rape. Yeah. Nothing happens to him. And that was part of her anger is that Danny doesn't even have to do an ethics program. I get asked why I pulled it in. I get put into an ethics program. And for people who are not long Scientology watchers program, an ethics program is where you have to do a series of study and courses, maybe go on the e-meter to see what you did that was wrong until you get your ethics back in and become, you know, a dutiful Scientologist who asks no questions, right? Right. And so this is part, and, and you're, this is coupled to a rape where you're being invalidated because you caused it. So I thought that part was very effective. Yeah, the Danny Masterson getting punched in the face. And I've, not, I've, I've looked in the um, timeline, and some people in the bunker have been trying to assemble a chronology and, and elsewhere of who it was that maybe hit Danny Masterson. But what was interesting, Tony, and this is the reason I bring up this alleged incident of Danny Masterson getting punched in the face, I guess, outside the restaurant, is Danny never went to the police about it. There's no police report. As far as I can see, he didn't file a complaint for assault and battery because maybe, you know, he was provoked. Now, that's just things that stand out to me. You know, that, well, if I someone slugged me at a restaurant, I'd file a complaint for assault. And maybe he felt he did provoke it. So I don't know. We'll, we'll leave that there. But that just, that was an interesting part of her, uh, her testimony. Um, and then she testifies, uh, Jane Doe 3 testifies that she was in a state of terror after uh, Miranda and Scott ethics handling program. 
And so she was in a state of terror and already you can see her mind what's happened to her as a victim. And they also give her a non-interbulation order, which in Scientology is the final step you get before you're declared a suppressive person. Mm -hmm. So because she felt at that point, if she'd been declared, she would have lost everything. And they told her, you won't survive if you get declared. You will actually literally will not survive. And that, when she's coming apart and she's starting to cry, right before her panic attack, that's what she said, that she was in terror of the organization of the Scoggins and of being declared. And that's when she has the panic attack on the mm -hmm. stand. Mm -hmm. That's where victim services steps in for a 15-minute break and the jury's sent out. So you can see all these precipitating events that lead to the panic attack because it wasn't a panic attack apropos of nothing. Like I'm suddenly have a panic attack. It was, it was an accumulated retelling of traumatic events, including the alleged rape and the abuse and mistreatment by the church of her being made the criminal for having been raped and Danny getting protection and there's no justice and where she'll lose everything you know, all of her, her friends in relationship to the church. So that's what precipitated the panic attack. And it yeah. was a genuine panic attack. I mean, uh, my God, the hell she, she went through. So then we go back into session. And what I noted, uh, Tony, is she was not allowed to write a knowledge report. Jane Doe 3 could not write a knowledge report. Instead, she had to write a things that shouldn't be report, which is a much lesser report much lesser ramifications in the church. So what you said last time we talked, even though Cohen's protesting, there shouldn't be that much Scientology in the case. In this section, there's a lot of Scientology, as you noted, that's getting into the case. There was a lot of Scientology this week. And as you point out, it was when, when there were a few times when she just kind of let loose. You know, she called it a criminal organization. She talked about it terrorizing. I mean... You know, I can tell you that the reporters are really looking for that. And if you look at the stories that came out this week, even though I was intrigued by a lot of different things like Scott Borthwick and um, these LAPD officers that testified, um, the Scientology is what really gets the other media fascinated. And I don't blame them. I mean, that's why I'm there, too. But uh, sure. Scientology definitely took a beating this week. No question. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and I'm I'm sure there'll be more next week. Uh, I think what they're going to do, we've had we had two LAPD detectives. I think um, instead of bringing on more, they're going to go to Jane Doe two next week on Wednesday, and um, you know she's got quite a story about what she describes as a very violent attack, but. Issues with her are, you know, questions of why did you stick around and talk to him? You know, yeah, same, you know, each of these, each of these have things that the defense is going to dig into. But I think, you know, um, she's got a particularly strong story about the attack. And that'll be next week. And then we'll hear from the other detectives. And um, I'm sure we'll, we'll hear more about Scientology. So uh, you and I will both be there, right, Jeffrey? Yes, I just want to add one more thing, Tony, to finish Jane Doe 3. Okay. is 
this this really stood out to me. March 2002, Jane Doe 3 and Danny Masterson had to meet with Chris Scoggins and at the Celebrity Center to review the terms of their breakup. There was actually, and, and Jane Doe 3 had to sign an agreement in which she agreed not to sue Danny Masterson. This was so, this was so bizarre. That this shows the church, and it's been said when you know you're in a relationship, the church is always the third person in the bed. That's when you're in Scientology, because husbands, husbands and wives, boyfriend girlfriend, they write knowledge reports on each other. So she had to actually sign an agreement. Now, after the breakup, there was testimony she was intimate with Danny twice, but he took the, the flash. You know, the flash of a camera goes off when he's having sex with her. Which was stunning. He's actually wanting to take photographs. And yeah, and, and her testimony was that that's when she realized he was never going to change. And yeah, there was a lot went, of testimony like that about what kind of a guy he was this week. I think there was a kind of depth to the testimony this week that added to the specific attack incidents. And he just did not come off, come off too good. All right. Well, listen, Jeffrey, thank you so much. And okay. we're going to have a lot of fun next week, too. So, ha! boy, yeah. we just have a yeah. we just have a great seat, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, do you want to end it with uh, the Scientology death stare? <laughs> oh, let's I get think that in. No, let's look. We 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 did a video about it and, and we wrote okay. about it. But uh, yeah, that was great when Mark Headley got the death stare from from Danny Masterson, and I'm glad you were there to witness it. So, uh, yeah. I mean, I can't. That's the, I I looked for. You know, I, I was so close to him, Danny, today, and I kept waiting for him to look at me and say something about that. But you know, he's not going to do that. He's he's back to poker face. But we will watch for another death Perfect. stare next week. All right. There you go. All right. Thank you very much, Jeffrey. Talk to you later. Again, again, again.